0: The great energy provider switch begins for thousands in San Diego.
1: San Diego community power will purchase more green energy than San Diego gas and electric.
0: I'm Maureen Kavanaugh with Jade Heinemann. This is KPBS Midday Edition. California's new food waste recycling program rolls out slowly in San Diego.
2: An estimated 40% of food is thrown away. And as a matter of fact, when you look at the landfill, 20% of the garbage in the landfill is food waste. So we just throw away a tremendous amount of food.
0: Chinese New Year celebrations will welcome in the year of the tiger, and we'll hear about a play that challenges stereotypes opening soon at the San Diego Rep. That's ahead on Midday Edition.
3: KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Osher Lifelong Learning Institute, hosting an open house to learn about the upcoming classes and seminars, member benefits, and meet the volunteer leadership team. Saturday, March 30th. Registration at extendedstudies.ucsd.edu slash O-L-L-I.
0: After years of preparation, San Diego's Community Choice Energy Program is about to start enrolling hundreds of thousands of customers. The rollout begins this month. With residential customers in Imperial Beach, when La Mesa, Encinitas and the cities of Chula Vista and San Diego get on board by the end of May, more than 700,000 residents will be getting power purchased by San Diego Community Power rather than by SDG&E. Energy delivery and monthly bills won't change much, but supporters say the amount of clean and renewable energy powering San Diego will increase significantly. Joining me is San Diego Union-Tribune energy reporter Rob Nicoleski. And Rob, welcome. It's
1: good to be back, Maureen.
0: So in a nutshell, what's the difference between the Community Choice Energy Program and San Diego Gas and Electric in the way power is purchased?
1: Well, as far as the way power is purchased, San Diego Community Power will purchase more green energy than San Diego Gas and Electric does right now. Right now, when you take a look at the renewable portfolio of sdg it's about 31%. When San Diego Community Power takes over, the default rate Program for residential customers will be about fifty percent renewable energy, so it's a little bit more renewable energy, some nineteen percent
0: more. SDG&E's profits go to shareholders. Where do San Diego Community Power profits go?
1: Well, first of all, SDG&E profits go to Sempra, which is the uh, holding company of San Diego Gas and Electric. But uh, a community choice energy program like San Diego Community Power. Any profits they get after they're done paying their employees, et cetera, they use that excess revenue. They take that and they invest it in renewable energy projects around the area. They end up buying and purchasing solar power and solar farms, wind farms, energy storage, battery storage programs, things like that.
0: So does this changeover mean that S D G and E is out of the picture?
1: No, not at all. Probably the best way to look at it is when you think about a utility company, a traditional utility like San Diego Gas and Electric, they do all sorts of things. They do transmission. They do distribution of the electricity. They've got trucks driving around. You see them on the on the highway. They're fixing power lines. They're doing all these sorts of things. Under a community choice program, the community choice energy program just does one responsibility. It's a big responsibility, but they do just one thing. And that is purchase the power, the power contracts, the various sources of power that are going to be used inside that power mix within that community. But all the other responsibilities that I've mentioned, that is still the responsibility of a traditional electric utility like San Diego Gas and Electric.
0: Now, residents in Imperial Beach are first in this particular rollout. How will customers be informed?
1: They'll get notified. Altogether, they'll get four notifications, two before and two afterwards, just to let them know what's going on. And so they'll be notified starting about 60 days before the transition is made, and then they get updated. And are our monthly bills going to look different? Only slightly, you will still, if you're in these five cities that you mentioned that are joining SDCP, if you're in those five cities, you will still only get one bill and it will come from SDGE. But within that SDGE bill, when you look at the details of the bill, it'll mention one specific thing. It'll say power generation. And that is what the power generation that SDCP rather than SDG&E is getting for
0: you. What about customers who have rooftop solar? What's going to change for them? They will transition over to San Diego Community Power. So if you're a
1: NEM customer, net energy metering customer, that program that you were under, under SDG&E, will transfer over, and you'll now be a San Diego Community Power customer. And the only difference there is going to be that you'll get a slightly Better deal when it comes to the excess energy that you sell back to the grid. If you are a solar customer, you'll get a little bit better deal under uh, San Diego Community Power than you get with
0: SDG&E. What about regular energy customers? Will they see their bills go down? They'll go down slightly. Only, but you'll save
1: if you're a residential customer. You'll save about one percent now. Four or five years ago, when San Diego Community Power was first sold to uh, the uh, City Council of, of San Diego to approve this, they were estimating about a four or five percent discount. But things have gotten have changed on the energy landscape, and the energy contracts have gotten a little bit more expensive in the last few years. So they they say that th- that's the big reason why instead of a four or five percent. Discount on your rate. You're only going to get a one percent discount.
0: And what happens if a customer doesn't like this change? Do do we have any option to stay with SDG&E?
1: You can. You can stay with SDG&E. They can do that for free. But the uh, responsibility is on the customer to contact San Diego Community Power and say, "I want to opt out." But if you want to opt out, you can do so, and you can do it for free. If after sixty days you want to opt out, you can, but you have to pay a nominal fee. It's about a dollar and twenty-five, and you can get transferred back over to SDGE.
0: So if people do nothing, they're just automatically going to be transferred over to SDCP program.
1: That's exactly it. It's an interesting dynamic in the sense that you're going to be transferred over. That's the default. Position here, and I've asked during the time I've been covering this story, you know, what was the rationale behind that? Back in 2000, when these when these community power programs were first uh, devised here in California, the thinking was that if the elected representatives of your community decides to go to a community power energy program, that therefore that responsibility then shifts over to the San Diego community power, and so therefore they're the ones who get the customers rather than the incumbent utility, if that makes sense.
0: Okay, so if there's a power outage, who's responsible for fixing that? That's still SDG&E's
1: responsibility. The best way to look at this is that all transmission and distribution questions, that is SDG&E, and the billing questions. Everything except the power Generation is done. Everything except that is still done by SDG&E. So SDG&E still can do these, quote, public safety power shutoffs. And they're still responsible for bringing the lights back up when those shutoffs are done. So that is all responsibility of SDG&E.
0: This is a rather complicated change. Actually, there are a number of options for people who decide they want to go to SDCP or they don't want to go, number of cleaner energy options that they might want to choose. So if listeners want to find out more about the program, is there a website?
1: Yes, Maureen, you can contact sdcommunitypower.org and get more information. And on that website, on one of the pages of the website, there's a very good explanation that breaks down what your bill is going to look like, and what that all means. So that might be helpful for people to take a look at.
0: I've been speaking with San Diego Union-Tribune energy reporter Rob Nicoleski. Rob, thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Maureen.
0: A new state law
4: will require food scraps be composted instead of being tossed into landfills, While the change presents many environmental benefits, it also highlights the county's limited capacity when it comes to managing food waste. KPBS science and technology reporter Tom Fudge has been covering this and joins us now. Tom, welcome.
2: Thanks very much, Jade.
4: So, can you start by telling us a little bit about Senate Bill 1383 and what changes it brings?
2: Right. Well, 1383, which was signed by Governor Brown a few years back, requires organic waste collection service to be offered by all municipalities in California. In addition to making sure that the city is out there collecting food waste for recycling, it also requires companies to donate eligible food. And there we're talking about supermarkets, restaurants. If they have edible food, they're not supposed to throw it away. They're supposed to donate it.
4: So then will this mean green compost containers for San Diego residents?
2: Yes, it will. But you probably haven't seen yours yet because in the city of San Diego anyway, they're getting sort of a slow start. I talked to Ken Pru, who is with the Environmental Services Department, and he says they expect to truly roll out um, their green waste recycling program this summer. Even though they're required to do it now, they need a little time to get everything in place. That's what I was told.
4: And independent environmental organizations across California have been doing this for years. Why is this practice only just now becoming
2: law? That's Difficult to say. It may have to do something with political will. It may have something to do with the fact that a lot of cities have moved ahead with doing this kind of recycling, this food recycling. It just so happens that San Diego has not been one of them. So it was signed by Governor Brown just a few years ago, and now we're finally getting going.
4: All right. So so let's take a step back here. Exactly why is discarded food waste so bad for the environment?
2: Well, before I answer that question, Jade, let me talk about the extent of food waste in our country and in our community an estimated 40 percent of food is thrown away. I mean that's kind of shocking to me and it should be shocking to other people but that is why we have so much food waste and as a matter of fact when you look at the landfill 20 percent of the garbage in the landfill is food waste so we just throw away a tremendous amount of food. Now the problem with that food waste ending up in the landfill is methane. Methane is a very powerful greenhouse gas more powerful than carbon dioxide and when you just put the food in the landfill and don't compost it, it creates a tremendous amount of methane. And so that's probably the biggest problem with uh, food waste.
4: And so we have these new laws, but does San Diego have the capacity to deal with all of this food waste?
2: Not yet. In fact, one of my sources that I talked to said when you look at San Diego County, they are currently able to only process about 30% of the food waste that is coming into the system. And so... We've got a little ways to go. Now, there are some interesting things that are happening in the county. For instance, EDCO, the private trash hauler, has built an organic waste digestion facility. Now, what this does, it's a machine that breaks down waste in a closed container and captures the fumes that are created to uh, create natural gas that they can use to uh, fuel their fleet of trucks. And so these digestion facilities is modern technology, and the city of San Diego is going to get this one fairly soon.
4: Can you give us a few of the benefits of composting and why it's so important?
2: We already talked about methane. When food is composted and not just put in the landfill, that means that it breaks down in a in a certain way. And in that certain way, it does not produce the kind of fumes, the kind of methane that is created when you put it in the landfill. Also, when you create compost and apply it to the land, it, is actually, it actually behaves like a carbon sink. In other words, that compost applied to the land will suck carbon out of the air. So it has a very positive effect in that way too. You report that the region
4: has long had few resources for dealing with food waste. What can you tell us about that?
2: Well, the city of San Diego has had a yard waste recycling program for quite a long time, but they have just, until they were forced to by this law, got a kick in the seat of the pants As one of my sources, uh, in the way that one of my sources put it, they just didn't take the steps that they needed to do to recycle food waste. They didn't have the green containers. Uh, They didn't really have the capacity at the landfill to deal with all of this waste. Now they have to do it, and so they are taking those steps. Like I said, they say that they, the city of San Diego is going to create its own organic waste digestion facility. They are revamping some of their practices when it comes to composting to deal with this, but uh, they're not at a point where they can deal with all the food waste. Hopefully that will happen fairly soon.
4: So how does San Diego stack up against other cities or regions with food waste recycling?
2: Well, you know, Jade, one story that I can tell is I visited the city of Toronto in Canada, and this must have been about 15 years ago. And when I was there, and I was just visiting, I didn't live there, but even visiting, I remember that the place where I was staying, we had to take our food waste and put it into a certain container so the city could pick it up. That was 15 years ago. And San Diego is just starting to do this now. So There's no question San Diego is behind the times. Uh, I talked to a person with the Environmental Services Department, and he said in the city's defense that it's kind of difficult for the city of San Diego to create new processes like this because of the People's Ordinance. And the People's Ordinance prevents the city of San Diego from charging single-family homeowners to pick up the garbage, and so they can't raise the rates. And that's one thing that does make it difficult for San Diego.
4: Tom Fudge is KPBS's science and technology reporter. Tom, thanks so much for joining us.
2: Thank you, Jade. Happy to do it.
3: KPBS On Demand is supported by... The University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu.
0: This is KPBS Midday Edition. I'm Maureen Kavanaugh with Jade Heineman. Signatures are being collected right now for a proposed state ballot measure that could guarantee funding for arts in public schools. KPBS education reporter M.G. Perez tells us the effort could mean a huge transformation for students. So
3: you're working in orange, monochromatic, and blue?
5: Yeah. Yeah. Max Swan is the art teacher at the Creative Performing Media Arts Middle School in Claremont, best known as simply CPMA. It's one of the San Diego Unified School District's showcase campuses for theater, music, dance, and of course, the studio art classes taught by Mr. Swan, who started as a math teacher. I got a math credential and an art credential and then quickly found out how much they actually um,
3: overlap and interconnect and Now I'm an art teacher.
5: Swan is passionate about his art as he conveys comfort and confidence to his sixth, seventh, and eighth graders and his students with special needs. Right now, the class is working on a group mural that will be displayed on campus. 13-year-old Michael Clark had never tried art until this year. He's a natural.
0: Yeah, you you can express yourself like in different ways. You can tell your mood's in color. like, Like you can see how you feel, like how's your day going. You can express it by
4: doing art.
5: The CPMA Art Class is an example of creativity that has survived the COVID crisis and budget cuts. It's also an exception. Even though the California Education Code mandates art, music, theater, and dance be offered to every student, less than one in five public schools today have a full-time arts and music teacher. Enter former Los Angeles Unified Superintendent Austin Butner, who is now leading the group Californians for Arts and Music Education in Public Schools. Butner calls this his passion project to collect a million signatures by May 1st and get an arts funding measure on the November ballot. He wants to bring equity to the show business states.
1: We are that creative capital, not just in America, but really for the world. Uh, and that dichotomy between a robust creative industry uh, and public schools which don't offer that same opportunity is what we're trying to address.
5: Butner and his organizers are proposing voters direct the legislature to use at least 800 million dollars if there's a state budget surplus to exclusively pay for arts programs in every public school with no option to defer the money elsewhere. It's a radical idea with some radical supporters.
2: Uh, You may know me as an actor but when I was a teenager i wanted to be an artist voice sound
5: familiar he is emmy and tony award-winning actor john lithgow he is also now the face of the california ballot measure to save the arts he's pushing for signatures and will be pounding the pavement for votes when he says the measure makes it on the ballot
2: this is a time of tremendous divisiveness and political turmoil everybody's hot-headed on the subject of political issues but the arts bring people together in all sorts of ways.
0: Get ready, use your good, powerful voice
5: back at cpma middle school kathy hickman's intro to theater class is hard at work on acting out lyric poems she's been the theater teacher at this school for 20 years she says she's happily put in much of her own money to support her students and hopes california voters will direct the state to do the same in november
0: it would be nice to get the extra help in order to serve the community the way they deserve to be served with all of the proper resources things for building sets, um, all of our technology, and making sure that things are upgraded in an appropriate manner as well.
5: Paid signature gatherers are being used at grocery stores. There will also be collection events for signatures at public venues soon. And then there are the classrooms. Ballot organizers are depending on teachers, administrators, and parents to spread the word and deliver their signatures to the effort that could just bring more supplies and create more opportunities for teachers like Max Swan.
3: I'm developing a beginning, intermediate, and advanced at our school, so it's only growing. Students are more interested, and we're and more art on campus.
5: It's a picture-perfect possibility, dependent on a million signatures to support the next generation of artists.
0: Joining me is KPBS education reporter M.G. Perez. M.G., welcome. Hi. Now, since the State Education Code requires art education to be offered to every student, isn't there a funding structure for the arts already in place?
5: You would think there would be, but as uh, has been the case for California and much of the country, uh, the economy uh, has not always been great. And so funding that might have been channeled to arts in the past uh, are the first to be cut. And that is the reason this ballot uh, measure is being proposed, so that there is a guarantee that the state does have to spend money on arts.
0: Tell us, though, what is the reason that only 20 percent of California schools have a full-time arts teacher? How did that end up that way?
5: Well, it really is a matter of budget cuts. Uh, When you're looking at school budgets, uh, the first thing to go would be the arts program, because it's about reading and writing uh, and uh, arithmetic, as the saying goes. And so when those needs need to be met, uh, cutting the arts program, the music program, the drama program, that's really become the place to go. And as a result, there are so many children who are not enjoying the benefit of that kind of education.
0: Now, the way this ballot measure is constructed, it sounds like arts funding would only be available when there was a budget surplus. Is that right?
5: That is correct. Uh, The organizers will tell you that they have room for uh, putting more detail into it that might come up with other uh, uh, sources for funding. But because the surplus has been so significant over the last few years, they thought this was the opportunity to really strike and uh, put that money to use uh, for our children uh, in regards to the arts and their education.
0: Now, you spoke with teachers and students who were involved in painting and acting, and I'm wondering what other areas of the arts would be covered by this ballot measure.
5: This is kind of the beauty of this. Uh, It would be The guarantee would be that every public school in California would get arts funding and then it would be up to the individual schools or districts to decide how that money would be spent. For instance, let's say we have a district that has an incredible music program, but they're lacking in theater. That money could then be channeled in that direction for uh, productions and education and so forth. And it really is tailor-made to the needs of each specific uh, district, or in some cases, individual schools, and how they might want to spend that money.
0: The connection that the former LA school superintendent made between California as an entertainment capital and the arts in public schools, that's interesting. Can you tell us more about what he means? It really is ironic, as he
5: mentioned, and that is that California is considered the entertainment capital of the world uh, in most circles, and yet the state does not devote money to the education of children, the future artists, if you will, the future movie stars and writers and producers and so forth. And so really that's the disconnect that this measure is uh, designed to address. Let's fund them, get them while they're young. That way we can continue um, to to grow this industry that uh, is so precious to California and uh, help our children at the same time.
0: The students you spoke with, uh, of course, sound very excited about the arts that they're learning. But what effect does arts education have on children's overall education?
5: The teachers that I talk to, the administrators that I talk to say it is a matter of mental health. Students uh, are given the opportunity through the arts to express themselves. In the piece that I did, the young man who said, hey, I can express my feelings through color, Uh, something that you might not think about. Uh, Will he become a professional artist someday? Maybe, maybe not. But in the moment, it is contributed to his mental health. And that's really uh, the plus to this as well. Not every child who goes through an arts education will become an artist. But boy, what a great education and experience and growth opportunity they will have while in the classroom if this measure is passed.
0: MG, you referenced the usual reading, writing, and arithmetic that uh, a lot of parents want to see these their children become competent in. So I'm wondering, are parents generally supportive of more arts education for their kids? It
5: is hard to find somebody who will say, arts are bad. Uh, But at the same time, they will say it's the first to go if we can't teach them how to read and write. Uh, What the curriculum is geared toward uh, nowadays is integrating all of that. So, for instance, how might art be uh, integrated into a math class? And therefore, you're getting both. You're both learning the arithmetic, but you're also getting an opportunity to express yourself uh, through painting, perhaps. And that's really, I think, uh, the direction that this ballot measure wants to take uh, education in California. And it's hard to find a parent to say that's a bad idea,
0: I think. Now, how much time do supporters have to collect a million signatures to get this on? Is it this year's ballot?
5: Yes, uh, they have until May 1st. But here's the thing. Technically, they only have to gather 662,000 signatures, but they are shooting for a million because, remember, they all have to be valid signatures, and uh, they want to make sure that this makes it to the ballot. So they feel in order to guarantee they have the minimum, they need at least a million signatures between now and May 1st in order to get it on the ballot.
0: I've been speaking with KPBS education reporter M.G. Perez. M.G., thank you so much. Thank you, Maureen.
4: Tomorrow is the Chinese New Year, also known as Lunar New Year, and along with the New Year comes celebrations with loved ones all over the world. The Chinese New Year falls on a different day each year, and each year is represented by a different animal. The celebrations come with many traditions that are unique to Asian culture, each having a meaning behind them. And joining me to talk about traditions of the Chinese New Year is the Executive Officer of the House of China in Balboa Park, David said, David, welcome.
6: Hei Fat Choi, which means Happy New Year to everyone in the Cantonese dialect.
4: Happy New Year to you too. So tell me, the Chinese New Year falls on a different day each year based on the lunar calendar, not the solar calendar. What's the difference between the two and what's the significance of the lunar calendar? The ancients
6: in China decided to follow the pattern of the moon and when it was full, when it was half, when it was quarter. And so that is why the date of Chinese New Year always changes from late January to maybe early February. So it's just a different world view on accounting for time and seasons.
4: So what are some of the traditions that come along with the New Year celebrations? Well, families
6: gather, as will my family, tonight for a celebratory dinner. So it just signifies a happy time, a time of plentiful food and good tasty food. Chinese have so many different types of foods and we're longing to just reconnect and to put aside maybe problems of the past and have hope for the future. So it's just a grand time of eating, talking, celebrating, maybe little parlor games are some of the things done the first day of Chinese New Year. There are other days that are designated for, like the in-laws, to visit the in-laws, like the second day. The third day may be time to go to see other business associates or neighbors or friends. So Chinese New Year actually runs for a two-week period of time. And it ends on what's called Yun Xiao which means like lantern festival. And there's foods also noted for that celebration, as well as special lantern decorations.
4: And I know there's also like other traditions, like, you know, you may wear new clothes or clean the house. Tell me a bit about those.
6: Well, you would want to clean the house prior to New Year. You don't want to sweep out any good luck on New Year's Day itself. Uh, The uh, family should all have new clothes. They should work to end all the debts that they have. If you're a child, you'll be presented with different uh, colored red envelopes with slogans or drawings, and inside the envelopes are money. So, There's a phrase talking about, you know, Happy New Year. Where's my red envelope or my money bag? So even the local banks in San Diego, whether it's a national chain or local chain, often have the red envelope. So a customer could go in and ask some businesses, also distribute them. And for our own membership, we sent out a New Year's letter and we included a red envelope just as a well-wish to the receiver. The red envelopes can also be used besides New Year. Let's say there's a wedding. You would present the red envelope to the bride and groom. If there's a new business, is someone celebrating at 80th or 90th birthday, you would present cash. So in Western, oftentimes there's a registry, and maybe you get three or four toasters for the Chinese. It really is more practical and convenient to give cash than it is uh, to do a, a physical gift. So hope everyone has a red envelope in their future.
4: And red is a color of significance for the Chinese New Year. What does the color red symbolize for the culture and the celebrations?
6: The red is such a rich, happy color. You see them on temples. You see them in the red dresses that some of the ladies will wear. And you'll see the red in uh, children's clothing. So it's just a rich, warm color. And it just represents good fortune and happiness.
4: And 2022 is the year of the tiger. What meaning does the tiger have for the new year?
6: Oh, it's a really significant year because a tiger is someone who's courageous and someone who is confident. They always try to put forth brilliant ideas into actual practical plans. And I must immodestly say, I am a tiger. Uh, my birthday comes in December of 2022. And since the tiger year begins, Tomorrow, Tuesday. I'm lucky in that I am a tiger person. Uh, So, uh, congratulations to anyone born in 2022, as well as anyone 2010, 1998, 1986. So it's a 12-year cycle for the tiger. So those are some of the birth years for tiger people.
4: Interesting. And what's the significance of naming each year a different animal?
6: There's a legend saying that Lord Buddha had called animals to his palace. And these are the 12 animals that did appear. So it includes like the mouse, which was the first animal. and includes a dog, a lamb, a dragon, a snake, a pig, a chicken. Uh, So some of those are the other uh, animals that are celebrated during the 12-year period of time.
4: How is Chinese New Year typically celebrated here in San Diego? Typically,
6: there are a number of events, such as street fair, dinners hosted by clubs and organizations. Our own organization, House of China, which is one of the founders of the International Cottages in Balboa Park, has a scheduled February 19th and 20th event from 11 to 5. So, we have several lion dance groups, cultural dance groups, music, even like hip hop dance. And we also will have people doing calligraphy. So, there's a sample or a souvenir for them and a variety of food booths as well something is coming up next week in old chinatown san diego did have a tiny chinatown and there's going to be a lion dance and it's going to coincide with the naming of tom tom drive at third and market street he and his family uh, were one of the pioneers of the san diego chinatown that existed Oh, in the 1910s, 1920s, so people are welcome to that celebration at 10 a.m. But the big one this year is Balboa Park. February 19 and 20, as other organizations that were scheduling, you know, our indoor venue is not practical, but our fair, of course, is out of doors. So we're glad to welcome the public. But, you know, we still would advise people to wear masks and to keep distance as much as possible.
4: And that leads me to my next question. Have Chinese New Year celebrations been impacted by the pandemic? And does that persist this year? Well, I think the Chinese community has been in existence locally for
6: hundreds of years and internationally for thousands of years. So the Chinese are very resilient. So last year, because it was full lockdown, multiple organizations, such as our own and the Chinese School of San Diego, we did virtual programs where we had music, dance, a lion dance, cultural segments. Uh, that shared the rich history of the Chinese and was a way for people to still gather, but gather virtually. Uh, we at House of China, in our newsletter, had pictures and demonstrations on how to fold the red envelopes into like paper balls or the fans. And we included things like recipes so people could still enjoy foods that were savory, tasty, and significant to them.
4: I've been speaking with the executive officer of the House of China in Balboa Park. David said, "David, thank you so much for joining us, and happy New Year."
6: Well, thank you very much. So, San Tai Gin Hong, which means have good health for the next year.
3: KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education healthcare and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu.
0: This is KPBS Midday Edition. I'm Maureen Cavanaugh with Jade Heinman. Michael Gene Sullivan is a writer, director, and actor. His latest play, The Great Khan, is being staged at the San Diego Rep in March. The play was part of the Rep's Black Voices 2021 play reading series that launched last March. KPBS Arts reporter Beth Alcamando spoke with the playwright ahead of the play reading about challenging stereotypes in his work. She started by asking him to share what The Great Khan is about.
7: Great Con is really a play about, well, it starts, it's two teenagers, two Black teenagers trying to figure out who they are, how do they fit in to a culture that in many ways would just prefer that they were dead. And how do you define yourself in a culture that's always trying to define you as a potential perpetrator or as a runaway slave or just dangerous is it easier to struggle against those stereotypes to define yourself or is it easier to just get on the track with the greased rails and slide right into those stereotypes and the two main characters uh, aunt uh, girl and the uh, and jaden uh, teenage boy are kind of they meet in an unusual circumstance in that she is being assaulted This happens before the play starts. She's being assaulted by some boys that are kind of her friends, but now they're all teenagers and they see her only sexualized now. And so they're attempting to actually rape her. And he and Jaden, who is an utter nerd, saves her. And so now he's kind of like his mother has had to change schools for him and had to move across town because she's very concerned that those boys will find him and hurt him. Uh, so he's trying to figure out, well, should I be tough since I'm now in danger? Should I should I start acting tougher? Because he's been such a nerd all this time. Meanwhile, Aunt, her full name's Antoinette. She's like, well, I've always had to be tough to be a, a young black girl. And this is how the society sees me. But I don't want to be that. I just want to be a teenager. And so h- how they're defining themselves and redefining themselves kind of cross. And then Genghis Khan shows up.
0: What made you want to kind of throw that twist in and bring in Genghis Khan?
7: I was kind of doing a couple of things. I I was writing some other shows and this idea of why is it that black teens are always seen as older than they actually are? You know, the police go, oh, this kid, he was so big. And it's like he's nine or a black girl being pre-sexualized. This idea of how the society dictates who you are, how they write you in history determines how you're treated in the present. And that will determine how you're treated in the past. And so as I was writing it and I decided, well, Jaden... When he I want him to go too far. I want him to go to to worship somebody who's the biggest badass in history. And I was like, Genghis Khan. And so I kind of put that aside in my head. And at the same time, my wife said, you know, there's a book on Genghis Khan that just came out. You should read this because I was a history major. And so I read this new book on Genghis Khan. And I read other ones and I was like, This is about propaganda. This is about who writes your history. This is who decides what you were, and that determines kind of your future for you and your people and for the working class or for generations ahead or for your gender or whatever. I realized that the idea of what was something that the whole audience was going to think they knew. Now, most of the audience is always going to go, well, we think we understand black people. No. Um, But I was like, but that's too obvious. So I thought, what about Genghis Khan? That's somebody that everybody in the audience has heard of. And so that idea of having this, other very central thing to twist the audience, to make them go, I didn't know that. Makes them also have to go, I didn't know that about these teenagers. Those kind of breaking all of the stereotypes for the audience. So they leave really questioning, what do I know? And who have I been listening to? Whose stories have I been listening to that have framed how I see the world? How do they see me? And how wrong have I been?
0: Michael, can you give us a little taste of the play by reading a selection?
7: This is a scene between Jaden, teenage black, boy and temujin more commonly known in history as genghis khan now uh temujin and jaden uh uh, meet in his um in his bedroom one night and jaden's been showing him around town and they come back right after jaden's mother has left the room so they're sneaking back into jaden's room ah here it is jaden pulls out a dvd box call of duty yeah Modern warfare. See, you were asking about modern wars, and, and I thought I'd show you some. See, this game will teach you what you need to know. That place you took me, Chinatown. Chinatown. Pretty much every city has one. Why? Only place Chinese people were allowed to live back in the day, I guess. You know, Japantown, town, Mongol Town. Never heard of one. Okay, you can use the character I already built. He's a sniper, and I'm dead. You'll respawn. Uh what? See, there you are. Now, now I wanted I want you to show me all your cool I'm dead again. And you're back. No, wait, what? You can't just rush into battle, but I am supposed to kill. That's what the guns are for. Look, hold this button to aim and push and see? Fire. Bam! See? The guy's dead. He was so far away. That's what being a sniper means. But there was no danger. I cannot see his fear. Where was the fun in that? Oh, you want fear? How about dark souls? Dark souls. Is it also modern? Nah, but it's got lots of close up danger and fear. So I am Asian. Yeah. And you're black. Yes. But you're not actually the color black. You're brown. I mean, people are various shades of brown and pink. White. The pink ones are white. So the brown ones are black. The pink ones are white. And everyone else is Asian, which isn't a color. Oh, except for the Indians from India. They're brown, but they're Asian. And the Native Americans are also brown, not black. And they used to be called Indians. What are they called now? Native Americans. What do they call themselves? I don't know. Why don't you know what people call themselves? I don't know. In my carnate, everyone was adopted as a Mongol. It didn't matter what religion or family or other tribe you had been with. We were a tribe you could join, the people of the felt walls. We made our tents out of a material called felt and Mongolian barbecue. What? No, no, no Mongol town, but we do have Mongolian barbecue. You know, it's this big, round, hot metal table. We didn't do that. But how would we carry a big metal table around
0: on our horses? That was great. And you mentioned you are a history major, and you do bring history into this uh, in interesting ways. Is that something you kind of knew beforehand that you wanted to do, or did that kind of just happen as you were writing the story? Well, it kind of
7: developed. In most of the stuff, the plays that I write have, are, are very activist. I'm always trying to make the audience uh, see and understand an injustice and challenge it in them and then go outside and challenge it in society like they always say if you can only change one person's mind you failed miserably you got to do more than that so i need people to get out there and overthrow things and i just finished my uh i have an adaptation of uh, george orwell's 1984 that's been playing around the country and the line in that show he controls the present controls the past meaning they get to write history and he who controls the past controls the future because you can determine how people are going to act very much is part of everything that I write of redefining things. And I just love history also. It's like it, I was either going to go into theater or become a history teacher. And theater snatched
0: me up. I want to thank you very much for talking about your play, The Great Con. Well, thank you. That was Michael Jean Sullivan speaking with KPBS arts reporter Beth Accomando. The Great Con is being staged at the San Diego Rep from March 3rd through the 27th.